It's Amber Bradley, your host for the unscripted side of LP. It's Talk LP Podcast time. What's up, Talk LP fans? It's Amber Bradley. It's podcast time. We're here with Elena Kring. So nice to have you on the podcast. We were just catching up for like 20 minutes before we even hit record. Okay, let me tell them who you are. We're going to dive into it. Senior Director, Loss Prevention, Field Operations and Compliance for Games, a relatively new role that we're going to get to. But Elena, welcome to the podcast. Tell our guests and listeners about your background. Awesome. Thanks, Amber. I'm super duper excited to be here. Like you said, it's so nice to catch up. But um, just to give you a little bit about me, I started my career in law enforcement with the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, worked drug diversion or pill cases. And that's kind of how I got my foot in the door into retail, got recruited to go over to Walgreens, absolutely loved being an ALPM for them, and then transitioned over to Ross Dress for Less in the same type role. And then I was fortunate enough to go over to Ulta Beauty as an ALPM too, held that role for roughly 11 months, and then had just the most fantastic opportunity to start the organized retail crime program at Ulta Beauty. Did that for roughly two and a half years. And then I just recently made my move over to Gabe's as the senior director of that field operations and compliance team. And it's been a crazy four months to say the least. I'm excited to be back in the discount retail world, um, but just thrilled to death to be here today and just to talk to everybody. Yeah, we're stoked to have you because I think um, if you're driving and listening to this, don't do this. But if you look up Elena's profile on LinkedIn, you can kind of see, you know, her real ascent kind of through the the ladder of loss prevention and um, asset protection. And it's super cool because I love talking to people that have crazy kind of all which ways to their careers and also people that really take a, it looks very strategic, you know, when you're going through starting in law enforcement, first of all, which is like super cool. Like, I'm not sure I could have given up the special agent title because that's really cool. So talk a little bit about that just because that's super, that's super cool. Not like that the ORC component isn't, it's all very cool. But I, I'm just saying from my perspective, I want the title special agent. I just do. It was super fun. So <laughs> I actually interned with um, the TBI the very last semester of my senior year in college and um, was a criminal justice and sociology major. And I was like, I'm going to go to law school. Like, I'm going to change the world. And I got done with my internship, took the LSAT, got accepted to law school. And then they were like, hey, would you be interested in an agent role down in Memphis? And I thought, I think I will. So I completely <laughs> changed like my course of direction with my career. And I was an agent for, um, I was with the Bureau for five years. It was really cool. So we did drug diversion cases and like fraud cases. So more of the provider side. So like the doctor, dentist, that portion like of over-prescribing pill mill type cases versus the people that were actually receiving it. But um, the coolest people, I swear, um, my time with TBI was just incredible. And um, some of the most genuine, down-to-earth, hardworking, compassionate folks you'll ever meet. So, so I have to say, you know, we're this is the unscripted side of LP. Most people, if they're watching the video, they're going to go, "Well, Elena, you really look the part of going and doing pill cases at the yes. TBI." So, especially going undercover in Oneida, Tennessee, because I stuck out like a sore thumb, and I will never forget my mentors. Like, no, we need to 
we need to fix all of this. Yeah, I wanted you to address that for a second because that's actually super cool. You know, when you think about, and we talked a little bit about this on Apex Women on a panel where you you don't look the part, but you're, you know, you've got to figure it out, right? And, yep. and, and this is a great example. Yes, from being president of my sorority to being a special agent um, was quite, quite the difference. Um, but what was really cool is there were a lot of women down in West Tennessee that were just so instrumental in helping me navigate all of the classes and the training and helping me be prepared. And what's cool is I still unfortunately have to go to court and I still see those awesome people like Kathy Ferguson and it's just good. And I don't know, it's just so sweet because you realize how it's nice as women to invest in other women because had I not had that guidance that early in my career, because I was 22 um, then, and had I not had that guidance and support, I mean, I probably wouldn't be where I am. So it's nice to be able to still keep those friendships and those relationships all these years later. Yeah, that's a huge, that's a huge point. Um, and then you were talking also about kind of uh, the male part of that coin, right? Where you said, you know, certain people at um, Walgreens kind of recruited you because you were working with them to say, hey, look, we're coming, we're coming into your stores and we got to yeah. talk to your pharmacist. So heads up, talk a little yeah. bit about that. So the cool thing is when we were getting ready to go to grand jury or, you know, prosecute these cases, you have to have like the original hard prescription. It very well could have changed by now. Um, but I would go with subpoenas into all these pharmacies to pick up prescriptions. And Steve Walker, who is now the lead director of major crimes at Walgreens still, I would call him all the time, him and Joe Stein. I'm like, hey, like I'm going to be in your neck of the woods or can we meet or we've got this big case. And so the cool thing was whenever the opening came up, Steve reached out and said, hey, would you be interested in coming over? And I thought, I don't know, like your point. Yeah, I love what I'm hard doing. to I give up. Yeah, exactly. But after spending time with Steve and Joe and Mark Harris, who was my boss at the time, who's since retired, I thought this is really something that I can get behind because I really hadn't heard about loss prevention just outside of the classes that I took in college. And so to kind of see someone who would come from like the law enforcement side into the public sector and to see that you really still can make a difference just in a different way, it was really cool. So I still talk to Steve, you know, still talk to Joe and it's just really neat. Like we were talking like how tight knit the LP community is. It's like a little family. And it's really cool now to see the people that, you know, mentored you and trained you and brought you up through the ranks. And then now you're like, wow, it's just incredible to see like what all we've accomplished together. Yeah. It makes me feel old a little bit just because I can look back and be like, man, that, that part of my career, I was a complete idiot. Like now I'm yes. so glad I had people that said, Hey, by the way, <laughs> let me help you along the way here. <laughs> so, okay. So there's so many cool things to talk about here. I, um, I want to talk about a little of your time at Ulta and kind of how you expanded and grew and created the ORC program there. And, and what, did, what did that look like? Right. I mean, now, or by the time people hear this, like ORC is all the, all the rage, right? I mean, it's almost weird. It's like the media's never heard of it before. And you're like, well, we've been talking about it for a long time, but years. yeah, right. Yeah. So, so especially too, you think about growing responsibility at games, but thinking about your, you know, building an ORC program at Ulta and, and, and really growing up through that organization as well. Like what were, what are some things that stand out? And I, it's a broad question, but I want you to just be able to go any way that you want to with it about kind of that building the ORC part 
or challenges that may have come up? Like talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I still, you know, I, I'm so involved still in the ORC community and it's, you know, something that Gabe's is going to be a board member of clear real quick. Yes. I'm actually on the the board of clear, um, on the communications committee with some other just standout awesome folks. And the interesting thing about Ulta is when John came to me, John Golden, the senior director came to me, he's like, look, you know, you have a law enforcement background. We were working a pretty substantial case in a different part of the country. And he's like, we really do need something. And it was just me by myself for a year. And the reality of it, and that's what I tell, you know, other retailers that are trying to start up a program, the reality is education, because just how you said about the media, there's a lot of companies that understand shoplifting, right? They understand external theft, but there's this very large gap of, I guess, like misconceptions that ORC is shoplifting and it's not. And so one of the fantastic things that Julie, um, our VP, Julie Giblin, and both John gave me was the opportunity to really educate the entire team at Ulta about what ORC is and was, what it looks like in our stores, and then what we needed to do specifically to tackle it. So that first year, it was a ton of education. It was a ton of policy and procedure building, kind of like laying that strong foundation so we could put up the walls. So that's like your step one. Yes, step one. So education for sure. And then making sure that we really looked at what the stores needed to feel supported because we know how to do the investigations, right? Like that's our job. So doing that and building those relationships with law enforcement and peer retailers, like that's just a given. But I think the broader picture is really helping people understand how how broad and how extensive and deep the problem is so that you can get them to support you with headcount or with, you know, updating policies and procedures, meeting with legal, meeting with HR, because unfortunately, ORC trickles down into every single level of the organization because it just has so many effects on different things. So that was really the first year. And then the second year was building the team. You know, where do we need people in place now that we've educated folks, now that they're bought in, now that we have policies and procedures and kind of like guardrails for what we need to do. Now, how do we put the people in the right places to really help support these larger scale investigations and then actually close them out and then sharing those wins within the organization and within the LP team? Because when you're starting up something like that, we did have, you know, 1500 stores, but there were only like five or six of us. And so the other thing is, how do we support the local ALPMs to work these, you know, maybe smaller cases is what we would call them. So we could kind of tend to the bigger things and getting everyone trained. And that way we all felt comfortable with the job we were doing and what we were going after. And without the support of the ALPMs, without the support of the RLPMs, just everyone working together cohesively to understand how we were going to tackle it, we would have never been as successful as we were. So I think that, you know, that second year was really building up the team. And then the next year before I left was really about kind of honing in and getting, I guess, like a broader training together too, so that we could go after these larger cases and really help out looking at innovation, looking at technology, you know, working smarter, not harder too, Um, you know, but it's just been so cool to see as we, or as I like pass the reins on, like the team is still completely, you know, crushing it and doing a great job. 
and continuing that on. And I think that's what's so important, how, you know, you can leave your mark and leave your legacy there. And you've helped other people understand it so that they can pick it up and that there's no hiccup. Like the team that I hired is still doing awesome. You know, the folks that were internally promoted are still there. So it's just so cool to run into them and see everything that they're still accomplishing. So you said a couple of things I want to dive in on. Um, one of the things you talked about the wins, right? Communicating the wins of yes. the ORC team is, did you feel like that was just absolutely critical after you laid this foundation to kind of talk about how important this problem is for safety of your employees, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Like talk a little bit about that. Like it was just sounds like critical to keeping support of the program. Not only is it critical to keeping the support of the program, but it helps those stores. I mean, the stores are the ones dealing with it. They're the ones that are impacted. They're the ones that are dealing with it, you know, in the moment. And without the stores, we don't exist. I mean, the stores and those managers and associates, they keep the guests happy. The guests keep shopping. We keep making money. You know, we're profitable. So without the stores, there really is nothing. And so for us, communicating the wins was so critical because it's telling the stores, we see you, we hear you. We took all of the information that you gave us. You know, it wasn't a waste of your time. Thank you for handling the situation appropriately, keeping people safe, reporting the incident, being the best witness you can. And then look what we were able to do with that information. And I think that it helps them understand the why behind the what, and it keeps them engaged with the fact that hey, look, this might be really tough in the moment, but there will be a resolution. You know, these people will get arrested. We will be able to go after them, you know, and charge them. So I think that it also helps the stores understand how critical it is for us to know what's going on. And so we can ultimately help them. And then, like you said, sharing with the executive team or just, you know, even the operational partners, hey, look, like, this is working, you know, we'll tweak as needed, but as long as we can keep doing what we know works and it's going to be beneficial. So I think that that level of visibility is just so critical whenever you're talking about the stuff going on in stores. Yeah. And I would think too, and you're a communication geek like I am, right? That when you're communicating that it has to be elevator pitch style, right? So it's like, here's the bad guys. This is what we did. And this was the awesome win. Like if you're going into your executive suite being like, let me tell you this 45 minute story about they this. They don't want to hear it. Yeah, right? Super so true. Important. Yeah, we just had like a little one pager. That's exactly what it was. Some pictures, the breakdown, the stores impacted, the product, you know, just a brief synopsis. And everyone was always like, this is fantastic. Thank you. So I think that just bringing that level of awareness and just like actually like a virtual high five, like, you know, thanks for doing what you're doing. I think especially in today's environment, it's so critical that the stores like, and, you know, the local teams that are dealing with the stores directly understand how thankful we are for the jobs that they're doing. Yeah. So if you're listening out there and you need some takeaways, you already have some, but that is definitely one about communicating the wins for sure. So the other question I wanted to ask you from what you said is technology, right? And the ORC side, like, and you don't have to name people unless you want to, but um, were the, is there anything specific when you're building an ORC program that you're like, okay, there's a few technologies that we can't live without. And I, and it doesn't matter if they're standard or, or what. Like, right. what are, are there any that you would say, hey, these are my top two? 
I would definitely say every company is different. And, you know, some ORC teams like at TJ Maxx or CVS or Macy's, like they're very expansive, right? They've been doing ORC for years and they've got like these huge teams. And then you've got folks like Ulta that were new to the game, um, you know, or Nike or Under Armour. Like we were just trying to find our way because it kind of came all at once for us. And so I think to that point, the need of technology is probably different based on where you are within like your program. But the cool thing is for us, and I think for everybody, because this is a conversation that as peer retailers, like we just consistently have, is aggregating the cases and linking the suspects. Because when you have so many events, you know, if you're manually, like with our team, our team was very small. So if we're manually trying to like link up all these cases and print off case reports and reach out to law enforcement and, you know, it's spanning all these states and all of these jurisdictions, it's really hard and it's really time consuming. So for us, the biggest thing was we needed a technology that would link cases for us, do the hard work, and then also let us know if other retailers were experiencing the same suspects at the same points. And then that allowed us to get in contact with them. So we found a couple really awesome providers from that standpoint. The other thing is technology for us, you know, whether it be GPS or cameras, things like that, just trying to hone in on what do we need to be more successful? And then what provider will kind of match our need because what's good for one retailer might not be good for us. And so I think that's what was so cool and just having initial conversations with vendors to say, look, this is the main problem that I have and this is what I need to fix it. Like in this one localized area, do you have a solution for me? And normally they did, which was really cool because then you're able to say, oh, wow, that's perfect. You know, can we just pilot it here, or test it there? So I would definitely say for us, it was case aggregation and then just trying to like catch the folks, you know, better and faster so that they weren't impacting the stores over and over and over again. Yeah, those are some great points because I think a lot of times people think, oh, well, if I want a technology, if I don't have all the capital to roll it out to every single store, then I'm screwed. When in, in yeah. fact, like you could take your strategy of saying, yeah. hey, look, Let's let's localize what the problem is, how maybe this technology could solve it and work with the vendor. And you're saying they were willing. Yeah, I mean, we partnered with Detective Analytics. We partnered with Aura. We partnered with Flock. I mean, um, Insurity, 3SI. I mean, there's a million different vendors out there. And I think one of the things that vendors are starting to realize, which I think is actually fantastic for retailers, is you can't have like a one size fits all. And so if I come to you and say, look, you know, our main problem is this, do you have something instead of saying, well, not really, but maybe we can make this fit that, you know, like kind of putting a square peg into a round hole. They're like, you know, hold on, let us, you know, let us think about that. Let us come back to you with something that we think would be beneficial. And, you know, can we just try it in this one location? And what I think we found and even what we're finding now at Gabe's is people are very willing to try to make their product work in whatever type of environment that we need, and then also allow us to test it or pilot it in certain markets before we do like roll it out everywhere. So I think that's actually one of the cooler things that I've seen lately with vendors that they're just more willing to meet you in person, you know, to show you what, what they have and see what's available. So that's been really, really nice. 
Yeah, those are some good points too. I mean, I think that the retailer should expect to have some skin in the game when it comes yeah. to a pilot, right? I don't, I, I hear, you know, some solution providers that are like, yeah, these re- retailers and you were willing to pilot, but there has yeah. to be something on the other side, like success measures or, right. you know, proof of concept. If, if we do this, you'll do this kind of thing, yeah. which I think is fair. I mean, if you're investing the money, it it is really great. And, you know, money's tight everywhere. And I think that what's interesting about loss prevention is like, it's changed so much. Like I've only been an LP, I guess, for like roughly 10 years. Um, but when I think about it, LP has changed so much, even when I started with Walgreens. I mean, some of the tactics and the ways that we address problems and issues back then, like it doesn't work nowadays. I mean, ORC, online, you know, just like the expansion of like the dark web and online retailers and, you know, all of these things. So sometimes like those gumshoe tactics don't work like they used to. And I think that technology is such a critical piece of that success, whether it's refund management or cameras or, you know, like I said, GPS, case management, there's just so many different ways now that you have to work smarter, not harder. And it's really cool to see a lot of vendors really stepping up to say, yeah, like we can make that work for you. And just to see how much that saves time, helps your team with work-life balance. I mean, there's just so many benefits to finding the right fit from a technology standpoint. Yeah. Um, Okay. I want to transition into kind of our last segment here, um, which is, you know, you recently uh, made the jump to Gabe's. Um, yes. from Alta and, you know, clearly a now senior director role, which, you know, your career has been an escalation, which is awesome. It's like textbook, right? Um, so I want to talk a little bit about how you made the decision um, to change, like, because a lot of people, that's scary, you know? I mean, I uh, earlier in my career, before I started my own company, it's like, I was just jumping because I was like, I don't mm-hmm. like this. I'm gone. I don't like this. I'm gone. But, yeah. you know, it's like, sometimes people have a tenure that they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. Like, it, do I wreck this tenure? And what if I don't like it? And, it, you know, what if, what if that happens? So tell me a little bit about your thought process in, in moving to Gabe's. And I know you guys are um, on the hunt for some incredible LP folks. So we'll talk a little bit about that too. Um, I will tell you that the, um, the decision to leave Ulta was probably one of the hardest ones I've ever made in my career. I, because they have some great leadership over there. You were saying Julie Giblin, Sandy Chandler. I mean, yes, there's a lot of fantastic talent at Ulta and the cool thing about Ulta was I was given every opportunity to prove that I could do the role that they gave me and more. And I was, like I said, I was afforded every opportunity under the sun to be successful. And it was the hardest decision to make. And um, it came with a lot of tears and just a lot of processing. And when John, who was at Ulta, went over to Gabe's, you know, kind of came and said, you know, is this something you would like to do? I told him, I want to see the vision for where you're going. I want to know about the team. And one of the things that really interested me is I like a good challenge and I like kind of bringing something from nothing. Like, I think that's what I loved about the ORC role. Like I had the opportunity to kind of create something from the bottom up and build it and bring amazing people with me along the way. And, 
you know, fix things and problem solve. And it just was the coolest experience. And when John came and he showed me what his vision was and what it was going to be, I thought this is even cooler. Like I'm going to have the opportunity to help build up, not just like a part of loss prevention, but the entire loss prevention program here from like a field compliance ORC perspective. And that really, really interested me. And the fact that the talent on the team was so great. And then two, I mean, the folks at Ulta are so talented, they didn't skip a beat, which is even cooler. And so being able to see, you know, the progression of what Ulta's still been able to accomplish and then to come here and follow amazing talent and amazing leader and John Golden has just been awesome too. And to really start to build and lay that similar educate, build the foundation, you know, focus on communication and consistency and collaboration. And then, you know, this year we're putting the walls up with great training, development, process, and planning. Like, it's just so cool to see that come together because you can look back and say, look what we accomplished. This is just incredible. And so I think that was a lot of the draw. Um, and the fact that Julie obviously was so supportive um, and knowing that I still have great mentors and like my own little personal board of directors that can continue to help me grow. It's just incredible. Um, so like I said, a very hard decision because I love the company. I love the culture. I love the leadership. I love my job. I love my team. Like there was just so much that I loved. Um, but I also believe that change is a good thing and that uh, a challenge like that is something that I was very willing to accept. So super glad I made the decision. It's only been four months and it's been crazy, um, but just thrilled to death to be here and to have the opportunity just to lead this team too. Yeah. And you guys are 120-ish stores growing yes. at a, a pretty nice clip there. So, so um really interesting because oh, so Gabe's is more east coast it is so I guess like the furthest south we kind of go is like Kentucky and Nashville ish area down into like Georgia a little bit and then we go all the way up um, to New York so it is more of an east coast company um, and we're expanding you know roughly 10 to 20 stores a year which is really cool we're about to open up a brand new DC that's just going to push our growth into high gear and looking to eventually go public which is really neat too so just a super awesome opportunity to get in at the bottom you know the ground level here and just watch watch the company grow that's awesome um so I didn't ask you any of the questions I sent you that I was going to oh. ask you <laughs> <laughs> so that's so like me. I just go off on these standards, but I do want to give you the opportunity because there's a few of them that I think are pretty fun, right? So best career advice you've ever received, worst career advice. I want I want you to pick one of these that you've thought, you know, hey, these are kind of fun. Um, so let, let's start with that. Either best or worst career advice you ever received. So best career advice I will say is when I was at Ross, I had an amazing mentor. Her name was Glennis Harris. And um, she was just amazing. And she told me, Elena, the biggest piece of success I will tell you is learn to manage your manager. And I really didn't understand it at the time. And 
I have grown to understand that. But if you learn how to manage your manager, what they like, what motivates them, you know, what you need to be successful in role, what they expect from you, but on a very granular level, I feel like not only does that build your relationship with your manager, but you're also able to take development nuggets away from that. Because if you see that they're at the next level and they're successful because that's why they're in role, what are they doing to manage the business to make it successful? So if you learn to manage them, it's almost like you're taking on some of their traits too. And so that was probably one of the best pieces of advice. And then the second one I would say is just surround yourself with the people that kind of fit your puzzle because everyone has strengths, obviously, and no one has a lot of the same strengths, they're different. And one of the things that I've enjoyed in my career is finding those partners or finding those people for the team that kind of fill in the gap where I'm not that great. Like data, not a fan of data. Can I analyze it, look at it 100%. But if you ask me to make a pivot table and a spreadsheet, it makes my stomach hurt. So who can I add, you know, as an analyst or who's in the corporate office that can kind of help me bring my vision to life from that perspective? So I really have learned, you don't have to be good at everything, you know, and I think people are like, oh, I can do that. And you're like, no, you can't. Um, the reality is like, you really don't have to be good at everything because you can surround yourself with people that are better than you at things and that are smarter than you. And that's the best thing you could ask for, because then you've got a team that's, you know, excelling at a thousand percent versus 10, because not only are you trying to do everything yourself, but you're not good at everything. So those two pieces of advice are by far the best I've ever received. All right. Did you pick a worst? Yes. Okay. So I got to hear it. I got to hear it. The worst advice I've ever gotten is set goals for yourself that you know are unattainable because if you know you can't attain it, you're going to work so hard to try to attain it that you're still going to accomplish more than like a goal that you set that you know you could achieve. And that to me was like the worst advice. And then also like volunteering for everything. Like, you know, you should always like step up and say, you'll do it. Um, also terrible advice, because one of the things I tell my team is you can say yes to everything, but have strings attached, meaning, you know, hey, yes, like Amber, I can help you with that. But the reality is I only have like 30 minutes one day this week to help. So is there something that maybe I could help you with, you know, that I could accomplish in 30 minutes, because I think that that not only like doesn't stress you out, <clears throat> but it also doesn't set unreal, ex like unreal expectations with the person that's asking. Um, so yeah, yeah worst that. advice, set unattainable goals and say yes to everything because it'll wear you out. <laughs> that's so, I've never heard that. Uh, so it has to be bad, right? Set yeah. unattainable goals. Cause that's really yeah. motivating. All Is right. Let me ask you to, and we'll wrap it up, but uh, advice for solution providers trying to provide you solutions. We talked about earlier, I think that my advice would be just be willing to listen to what we need as a retailer and also understand that every retailer is in a different place, you know, whether it's product protection or new technology or EAS towers or RFID. I mean, it could literally be anything. I mean, every single business, whether it's like a huge corporation or like a privately held company, we're all in a different place. And so my recommendation would be really listen to what we need. And then what can you provide us that would work that maybe isn't what it was actually 
made for or used for. Yeah, be creative. Exactly. And then not only that, you know, try to be flexible with like pricing or rollouts. Like to your point, I might not be able to put it in 120 stores, but I maybe could put it in five. Like, is there a way that we could test this and pilot it? You want to come out and see the store, like see what we're asking for, that type thing. And like I said, I think COVID really changed a lot of things and in, in the way that people kind of thought through stuff. So I think that that's been super beneficial, but that would definitely be my advice. And listen, whenever you actually get the product, I will tell you dealing with, um, you know, Bobby at Aura or Chris and Brian at Flock. I mean, there's just people off the top of my head, um, you know, Dean at Detective Analytics. Anytime we call about something, they're like, yes, thanks for that feedback where we've heard that from multiple people or we're working on that now, or let me see what we can do. And I think that that is really critical, like to build those strong relationships because we're the one dealing with it. And we know that we might need something, you know, different or change. And so just for that flexibility, I think it's so crucial because it really helps us. And ultimately, you know, we share with our peers, like, Hey, you know, we're using this and it works great. So I think that, you know, just that, that flexibility and being able to listen is a huge, huge help. Yeah. Brilliant advice. Okay. Last thing, seriously, this time, if you weren't an LP executive, what would you be? So you're going to laugh. Um, I loved law enforcement. I thought I was going to be an attorney, but I definitely would not want to be an attorney. Um, I actually make my own candles. Um, anyone that knows me, I know it's so random. Like anyone that knows me knows that any given time, like if I'm awake, there's a candle burning in my house and I pour my own candles. And so if there was a career that I missed out on, it was being a professional candle maker professional and selling all of my candles. You know, I would not have guessed that. I don't think in a million years, but yeah. that's very cool. <laughs> yeah. Start my own business and yeah. why not? Yeah, I love it. I love it. So thank you so much, Elena. This has been super value packed. We appreciate you coming into the Talk LP hot seat. Audience, make sure you connect with Elena. You never know what she's got going on uh, at Gabe's and everything else. So connect with her on LinkedIn. But thanks again. We really appreciate it, um, Elena. This was awesome. Thank you for having me. And yes, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Send me a message. I'd love to chat. We're going to have open roles next year, new things. And I just think it's awesome to always meet new folks because I'm sure we'll see each other at some conference out there um, as 2022 <laughs> gets kicked off. Yes. We will. We will be in person. I have a feeling. I know it'll happen for yes. sure. So, all right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's at Let's Talk LP. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, make sure to follow us on the LinkedIn group. And if you haven't downloaded the Talk LP news app, you're missing out. Breaking news headlines in the palm of your hand. Thanks again for listening. We're out. See ya. Like we do it.